This is Body Talk, where we explore your inner universe. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the penultimate episode of Body Talk for 2022. And before we get into that, I just want to take a moment and thank everybody out there listening right now who made Body Talk such an incredible success. If you don't know, uh, listenership is up 103%, and this little old podcast is in the top 10% shared worldwide, and I am just ecstatic about that. I literally could not have done that without you and your enthusiasm. And I want to give a big Christmas shout out to both John and Greer, who became patrons of the show at patreon.com backslash body talk radio and help support the show. Believe me, it is deeply appreciated. And as I've said, and I will say it again in this attention economy where everything wants your time and attention. If you give this show your time, I will make sure it's worth your attention. This week will be no exception to that. My guest this week is the ebullient irrepressible Jill Miller and Jill and I, I love having Jill on the show. We just go, I never know where we're going to go. We always come in with an agenda. We wrapped up last year and I thought this year we got, we got to get a repeat going here. So we talk a lot about the 2022 fascia Congress and what worked for us and what our takeaways were. And we also go down some pretty deep rabbit holes about singing and about publishing. So if you're a writer or you're thinking about writing or publishing, we're going to get into some of the nitty gritty uh, sausage making details of that particular thing. We also, uh, we, we spoil some potential surprises for 2023. And uh, speaking of which you have till the end of 2022, December 31st, 2022 to save 30% on the second edition of my book, Fascia, What It Is and Why It Matters, now with 30% more science. And you just need to go to the Singing Dragging website in the US or in the UK and type in the promo code, the discount code, podcast30. That information is in the show notes. And again, if you're going in the show notes, uh, be sure to leave us a five-star rating. It really makes a difference. Who knows? Maybe we could double our listenership for next year and it already doubled last year. So I got to say end of the year, I'm incredibly happy, but enough about me. Let's get to Jill Miller, today's guest on Body Talk. Hey everybody, welcome back to Body Talk. And I am thrilled today to have my friend and friend of the show, Jill Miller. Uh, Jill and I, I think it's going to become an annual tradition now. We're going to talk about the year that was and the year that will be here on Body Talk. Jill, great to see you. Yay! I'm so happy to be here, <laughs> David. It's always fun to talk to you offline and online. So I we did this last year. It was, you were one of, well, first of all, you were one of my first guests on the podcast, period. And oh. then last year we did kind of a year-end wrap-up 
And I thought this year, let, let's do it again. And you know, you weren't that busy or anything. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) if you could see the face she just made listeners, oh my God. Uh, no, I really appreciate she's, she's been, uh, Jill's been, uh, having going through, uh, but having birth. a birth <laughs> yeah i was trying I to, to I, I was trying to think what's the best way to say this uh, she's but been birth. push she's been pushing out a baby but the baby's got like 400 pages and a lot 480 of 480 pages uh, how many pounds does it weigh <laughs> you know what i don't know yet because i haven't received you know a printed copy but it's a hard copy that was a shock to me it's a 480 page book so the only binding possible was via hardback so it'll be my first hardback baby um but boy was that hard to push out i'm telling you yeah i bet i bet i bet i bet i bet well congratulations on that we're going we're going to talk about that a little bit more here i just want this to become hopefully an annual tradition if our schedules uh, and the stars align correctly so jill you just pushed out a, a 480 page baby this year that's going to be available next year, correct? Correct. Okay. February 28th. Okay. So I guess that was the highlight of the year for you so far? Well, I would say, yeah, it was an accomplishment of mine over the course of the year. But um, I think that because it took so many years to write, it was eight years of processed uh, based writing. Um, I don't know that I could give it up for last year for that. <laughs> yeah. I, it, yeah. It know, takes it a while like, to write a book beyond the physical writing. You have to accumulate all the knowledge that goes into it. Yeah. Two full college terms. But uh, granted, I did have significant amounts of writer's block during that time. I also pushed out an actual baby during that time. I also had a total hip replacement. And I took a year off to write a chapter for you, for your book, Fashion Function and Medical Applications. So I can always... <laughs> Yeah, um, she took a whole year off and just sat out there by the pool eating bonbons and there's uh, no pool <laughs> to, to to write a chapter. Yeah, there was a pandemic. There is no pool, <laughs> sir. Uh, yeah, also there was a pandemic uh, in between all of this, uh, where we our business had to pivot. So it, I had a, a lot of writer's block, and you know the irony is I was writing a book about resilience, of course. So here's a question. So this this is a question I ask myself when I find that I have writer's block. What am I getting from having writer's block? Well, and sometimes it's like, I just need to stop and take a break. Yes. But I, that's the question I ask. What, what really what needed to happen was I needed to leave the business of my family and the business of my business. I needed to isolate myself in order that's to hard. Leave. But it was very hard because there was a pandemic and you couldn't go anywhere. Um, and I actually finally found a writer's retreat in, well, first- Actually, what happened was my publisher called me. He's like, hey, how's that book coming along? <laughs> oh, the one I'm not writing? <laughs> and this was at the it was at the beginning of the pandemic. And it was like inner tube that I needed. I mean, he reached his hand out and just said, what can we do to help you with this? Because I really did feel like I was drowning. I was so overwhelmed with my information. I was so overwhelmed with organizing the material. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I mentioned in the middle of pivoting our our business and our output and homeschooling two children in the pandemic, I, I really didn't see room for how I could go back into the material and do what needed to be done. Um, and they helped hatch out a plan and they also alleviated the stress of it needing to be done by a certain date. And we worked out really a kind of a loose schedule. And mm-hmm. then I did, I found a writer's retreat 
about 100 miles away from Los Angeles, where for very low fee, I could actually live in a cabin wow. on property. And so I was isolated from all other people and brought my food and spent a week writing from 6 a.m. to, I don't know, 9 or 10 p.m. every night and getting getting close to finishing that first draft. So that that was the thing that loosened the the block for me. Wow. Congratulations for finding that. We will have you back on the pod in 2023, more specifically to talk about the book. Thank uh, you. In in depth. Can we give the title? Are you good with that? Oh yeah. No, sure. Yeah. It's already on Amazon pre-orders and the whole thing. It's called Body by Body by Breath the science and practice of physical and emotional resilience. And I can tell you, I've, I've gotten a sneak peek at it and it's, it's pretty spectacular. So I'm really looking forward to, to being able to hold that baby in my lap and play with it as one does a book. Well, I'll uh, reveal the part you, the part you played, which is <laughs> I gave David, there are two chapters that cover fascia. There are 16 chapters in the book and only two of them cover fascia folks. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of other, there's other more to life than fascia. Okay. I'm just going to say <laughs> it. There is. <laughs> How can that be true? Tape, but <laughs> so thank you, David. You're welcome. You're welcome. I really thank you for asking. I mean, whenever somebody asks you to do something like that, it, it's, it's a real honor and sign of respect. And I'm just, I'm glad it was helpful. I'm glad it was helpful. Well, we we are mutual helpers to each other. We and are. I know that David had to push out a book this year too. Did you yeah. push out a book, David? Did you book a second edition, a twin? I, I did. I did. It's well, it's um they're they're fraternal twins. Okay. Um, this one I'm very fond of saying this one has 30% more science. That's what I wanted them to do. I wanted the publisher to just put a sticker, not change a thing about the cover, just put a big starburst sticker that just said, no, with 30% more science, because uh, that would be very on brand for me, but they didn't say it that way. But it, Yeah, but you know what? That is what sticks. So speaking of sticker, like when you say that, every time mm-hmm. you say that, I just get this little frisson of like, <laughs> like, oh my God, my little science, my little science hairs are sticking out on end. Like I want to, to you know, hone in on what those, what those points are. So thank you for illuminating that for those of us who already love and worship and, you know, carry our tattered copy of the first copy (laughs) of fashion, what it is and why it matters all over. And by the way, I do want to say to those of you listening, and I'm sure you already have his book, but isn't it wonderful that it is so lightweight for, I mean, I don't mean lightweight as in lightweight. <laughs> I mean, no, I know what you mean. It's, it's uh, physically light. Whereas my new book is going to be like, I don't know, two pounds or something. It's hardback. It's not going to be as easy as transportable, but your book is very transportable. So it is one of the only books I take with me always in my suitcase and wow. show at trainings. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. What's funny is there was a, um, there's a mistake on the Amazon listing and don't even get me started on that. And it, gives the weight of my book as 11 pounds. <laughs> it's 208 pages and it weighs 11 pounds. Oh my God, the shipping must be intolerable. <laughs> well, that's why, that's, why, uh, that's why I have Prime. Yeah, the, it's a minor detail that we'll get. There, there were bigger details to correct, but the getting back to the baby metaphor, okay. as I'm sure some listeners know, Hillspring Publishing got bought. Yes. Uh, this year. And it happened while my book was in production. Oh, no. And the metaphor that I've been using is you're seven months pregnant 
and your doctor calls you up and says, Hey, I need you to come in for a, uh, for an appointment. And you're like, but, but we don't have anything scheduled. Yeah. But I just want to talk to you, you know, and I woke up that we're going to induce labor. Is that what the doctor? Tells no, you? no, 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 no. But, but, but I remember waking up that morning because the handspring was kind enough to call me and say, we just want to have a chat. And I thought, sure. Um, uh, but that morning I woke up and I went, they're selling or they're being, I just knew it. I just knew it. Mm -hmm. uh, but we had a conversation about it, but it was a little bit like you're seven months pregnant and your doctor says, look, I'm retiring and uh, I'm sending you to this other doctor in this brand new hospital with a bigger staff and more expensive machines that go ping and all those other things. And it's going to be awesome. Your baby is going to be just so much more awesome now. And it was a lot, man. It was a lot. Cause I was, it was, that was late March. I was in the, I started proofing it. I remember proofing it very carefully because I had COVID mm. when I got the author's proof. <laughs> At least I was home not doing anything. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, you go through a couple of And you were in your that. best state of mind. Cause you know, when you have COVID, your, your brain, there's no brain fog or anything like that, right? No, it was, uh, <laughs> it, it, actually every day was a new set of symptoms. So I was never bored. I was never bored. It was a lot suddenly like a small publishing house with like two or three principal people and some others became a, a lot more complicated uh, to navigate. And then, of course, the the new publisher, they're keeping the Handspring imprint. So those of you who love Handspring, they're still going to be Handspring books. It's a, it's a name. It has name brand recognition. Why change it? But the owner is Jessica Kingsley. Uh, which owns the Singing Dragon imprint that does a lot of Eastern medicine kind of things, meditation, Great acupuncture, books. and so on. And uh, I've really been enjoying the staff and the people I've got to meet there, but uh, they had to deal with asset transfers. I mean, uh -huh. when you think about the sheer output, Handspring has 200 authors in their stable. That includes like people who have, you know, like you did write a chapter for an edited book. So there was all this digital asset transfer, not to yeah. mention the physical asset transfer. And then they've got incorporated into their system and it always takes longer than you think. So my planned pregnancy became, went from like nine months to 11. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. And you just got to roll with your it. hopes and dreams for just, just two more months. Yeah, you just you just got you just got to roll with it though because they have this they want to sell books. So it's not like they're doing this uh for any ulterior motives. Mm -hmm. Sometimes things just take longer. So that was, you know, when I think about the year that was 2022, uh, so much of it was just consumed with that for me. You you handle you're wearing it well, David. Oh, thank you. Thank you you've always got to make lemonade out of the timing because the, it's like building a house. It's never the date they say it's going to be finished. And so the same is true with book publishing. And so for all of our colleagues out there that are like excited about a book idea that you might have, or you see a future for you in authoring, know that nothing is going to go as planned and that you have to, you really do have to build that, you know, fill that resiliency cup uh, to, uh, to roll with the punches. The other really important thing is clear and regular communication with the people involved, like you had with your publisher, and they were able to help you out of a jam because yeah. you said, look, this is where I'm at. I'm not going to prevaricate about this. Uh, this is where I'm at. Yeah. If you ask for help, 
Sometimes you get it, but if you don't yes. ask, you don't get it. That's so, uh, I'm, I'm so glad. And I have to all hail Glenn Cordoza, who was the one that sent out that lifeline. And for, to know that there's somebody on your side who thinks that what you have to say is so important that they'll adjust timelines for you and that they believe in your vision as an artist and as a communicator. So I'm just, I'm so grateful and I'm so excited for, for the book to be out in the world. And anyway. yeah, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm equally grateful to my editors over at Jessica Kingsley singing dragon. All right. I was going to say this towards the end of the pod when we're looking okay. forward to next year. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to save it to the end of the pod. All right. Okay. okay. Teaser, All teaser right. guys, big oh, revelation. Boy. I better big, come up with reveal, my big, big reveal share. coming up later in the thing. So so perhaps the bigger question is not so much uh, what the highlights of the year was, but what rocked our boats? <laughs> not always in the way that we wanted them to be rocked. Of course, uh, the the elephant in the room, uh, the elephant in the Zoom. Now, there's a book that hasn't been written. Wow. The elephant, the elephant in the Zoom. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Jill. Write that one down. Write that one down. You can have it. You can have it. I'm not going to do oh, anything good. with it. I, it um, has to be taken already. Somebody <laughs> already taken that one. Well, you know, when you're talking, I can Google it real quick and let you know. Uh, the elephant in the room, of course, is, was the Fascia Congress in Montreal, where it's been four years since hmm. I've seen any of Yin's guys, as we say here in Pittsburgh. Uh, so just that alone made it spectacular. I'm looking here at my stack of papers, typed notes. Um, I have 15 pages of typed notes that I gleaned at the Fascia Research Congress. Always the big question people want to ask is, well, what were the big takeaways? Like, what, what are you using right away in practice? That's and hard I, sometimes. That's not always the right question. Yeah, it's like you have to let the information age, first, first of all. And we have to kind of ruminate and chomp on it a lot to figure out if what anything that we learned. And by the way, I didn't go to any of the practical stuff. So the first two days of the Fascia Congress are workshops ahead of time. And I know you did one, I think on yeah, science communication, was, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. So I couldn't, yeah, when you're teaching, you can't go to them. No, but at least you gave one, which probably gave hope to people about science communication regarding Fascia. Well, actually, um, I, was, I, have to, I have to put a plug in here. I was asked by Lori Nemitz to join her and Rebecca Pratt in doing it. And that was like, oh my God, yes, let's get together and play. And I barely knew Lori at that point, but we became really good friends in the process of putting this workshop together. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Oh, it's so cool. Everybody well, I'll tell you one of my, one of my biggest takeaways was a was a science communication thing. And it was from Rebecca because she got mm -hmm. up in one of the breakout sessions. And so Rebecca Pratt is a, you probably know her credentials way more than I do, but she is an anatomy uh, instructor. Professor, professor excuse yeah. me. Professor. There's a medical college in Michigan. Yes. Um, what a dynamic speaker. Oh, she's I would awesome. love to learn anatomy from this woman. Had I learned anatomy from this woman? I mean, by the way, my anatomy instructor people were amazing, but it's like, wow, she's teaching medical students anatomy. How lucky are they? But she started off her lecture with like, okay, let's talk about the F word. <laughs> and I was like, that's it. That is the frame. What a great, alluring lead in. And you all know what I'm referring to, of course. Yeah. Fascia. Yeah. So that. I thought that, it was that, focaccia. 
Oh my gosh. I just, I just ruined it. I just ruined it. There are so many other (laughs) F words that we could just spin right now, but no, the big F word for the, uh, the anatomy Mm -hmm. geeks is fascia. So I really, I loved that because it also just made it contemporary and hip. There were so many nodes to that. And so I really just appreciated the, you know, the beginning of that lecture. Well, that's, and I just want to put this point out there. Yeah. Um, Whenever you're doing public speaking, the moment that you're introduced and you walk up to the microphone, that's when you've got everybody's attention and they're just waiting for what you're going to say. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, people will, I want to thank every day. They, they don't come up with something bold. There's time to give the thanks and the gratitude, but those first few things out of your mouth should be something that delivers to the audience who is in rapt attention of who's this person and what's going to come out of their mouth first. Yeah. She totally earned my that's respect. A pro tip. That's a pro tip. Yeah, where do you want me to start? So I uh, the other thing, the big takeaway. Here's the other big takeaway. The other big takeaway was this is a great podcast for ADDs. Okay, I'm just saying. Thank you. Was community. I had such an insatiable, ravenous need to be with my people, and the fascia community is one of the biggest chunks uh, that complete me as a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, their interest, their quirkiness, their diverse uh, roads to get to this place of being interested in fascia research and how they're either a researcher or how they're an applicator or an educator or whatever they are. It felt so good to be with my people and seeing you, of course, the exhibit that uh, Rochelle and Gary had put together for Freya, Freya exhibit that was absolutely just torchingly, amazingly gorgeous. That to me was the conference highlight really Mm. was the Freya exhibit. And I'm sure everybody on this podcast knows what it is, but just in case I'm getting new listeners all the time, it's the first fascial focused full body plastinate, which is a real live dead person that is dissected, preserved and displayed in a way that reveals certain anatomical concepts. And it's never been done before with a focus on the fascia. And there were, it was frankly a religious experience just being in the room with her uh, for as long as you wanted. And she wasn't even in uh, a glass case. So in the permanent exhibit in Berlin, uh, she's in a giant lucite, probably case, not glass. Uh, and this was completely uh, open air. It was riveting. And thank you. It was, it, it, you just took me back to church. It felt like church. It felt it like church to back me. To That's church. so cool that you said that. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It I'm, was... I'm Jewish and I, I, get, <laughs> I get the metaphor. Um, church, synagogue, whatever. Uh, yeah. So do you want to, what do you want to do? You want to like do like tennis match of highlights for each other or, cause I don't want to just be like, here's all my highlights that are in my notes. What do you want? How do you want to do this? Um, we, we could bat back and forth a little bit. All right. So then I threw out Freya. Great. You're next. There were a lot of keynote speakers and the one that stood out for me the most was Helen Langevin. And it's not the first time that I've seen her speak. It's mm-hmm. not the first time that I've seen her go over some of the things that I know she's going to go over. But she had a particular slide up. Mm-hmm. And it talked about the mechanoconnective system. Literally, 
have the same note to talk about this? <laughs> yes. Uh, and the mechanoconnective system. Now, some call it fascia. We call it maze. The mechanoconnective system spans the whole body, transmits and distributes mechanical forces produced by muscles, provides tensional elements to the whole body structured. It has layered structure and shear plane mobility between layers. And it does molecular remodeling in response to mechanical forces, and that evolves over time. And it connects to all the other systems, especially musculoskeletal and immune systems. And that just was probably my favorite thing, because it's a nice, concise set of bullet points as somebody who talks about, writes about, and teaches about fascia. And that, I love that. Okay. So I'm going to start to cry because it's like our highlights are identical. So sometimes I feel like you're my twin in man's clothing. I'll, I'll, I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you, ma'am. It's so strange, but that is what haunts me at mm -hmm. night. In fact, it haunted me so much. Uh, I needed to add this her, this conceptualization, her conceptualization, and include it in the book. So, uh, so it goes Ooh. back to my. Let's go back to my yeah. book. I, we are we were done with design, like locked into design. Yeah, this is after, this is a hard change to make that far in. Yeah, after the fascia, con excuse me, after September, after the fascia congress, and all we're doing is like basic little tiny edits, getting rid of wrong stuff, mm -hmm. but not adding in like. Um, like a whole new idea set. And after that lecture, because what she did was, Aline was talking about the, the commonly accepted physiological systems of the body. And the commonly accepted physiological systems of the body are the cardiovascular, respiratory, digestive, urinary, nervous, endocrine, immune, musculoskeletal. But she has the audacity and the rightful audacity to say, there is another system and it's this mechanoconnective system. And as David um, outlined in those bullets, which were you know, on this amazing slide, probably one of the most important slides known to mankind, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> certainly at the conference. Certainly at the conference, yes. Um, she goes into why we actually need to now have an additional physiological system. It's not enough to try to stuff fascia into the musculoskeletal. It's not enough to try to you know, stuff it into some other box. It really belongs in its own um, category, especially because it is this linker between, and she really highlighted that you know immune and musculoskeletal system connector. Um, so, I go to my publisher and I'm like adding in this quote, this footnote, I'm like, Hey, you've got this new footnote. <laughs> it's like epic. And they're like, no, is there, for, and they're all for also, they were like, you can't, you, we don't have, we can't alter the end notes because it changes the whole page count. Right. And yeah. And that messes up. Yeah. Like, it's there's metrics, there's metrics. It's sausage yeah. making, but it's important. Yes. And so, so the note, I, I send them the note like three times in three different edits and they're just like ignoring me. And I finally was like, this information has to be put in the book we can't it has to be there and so i ended up uh, ditching some art i ditched okay yeah art. you had to create space for it sure yeah i was like fuck it i don't care excuse me can we say that on your podcast it's a fucking podcast yeah i said f it i said f word they also did not want me to use any of her words 
So in writing, right. you had to rewrite it otherwise. Yeah. So I had to rewrite it in more uh, lay, pe lay people terms, even though this is very wonderful general uh, verbiage that she uses. I had to make it even more uh, general, but, you know, all credit goes to Eileen. And I just, I hope that, you know, the, the referencing motivates people to go and look at what she's doing at NICMH. Yeah, the NCCIH, which NCCIH, is part of the NIH, yeah, right, NCCIH, um, and take a look at this, and that we should really discuss this concept. Um, notice it didn't say fascia connective. I mean, it doesn't have the word fascia anywhere in this description. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It, it doesn't. Right, which is interesting, um, but it's all about it. I'm actually okay with that as somebody who works at a university hospital and interfaces mm -hmm. with a lot of different medical types. And I'm assuming this was deliberate on her part, but the omission of the word fascia removes the bias against the idea that the fascia could be an important player. That's still mm. a heavy lift to get through. So you, like you mentioned Rebecca Pratt earlier, you know, Rebecca is asking me, how do we start getting more of this stuff in front of the students? How do we really start changing the textbooks? So if you start talking about a mechanoconnective system, then we can start breaking it down into the components mm -hmm. that will include bone, fascia, mm -hmm. ligaments, mechanotransduction, for God's sakes. So I, I think it's smart. Yeah, absolutely. Go, your turn. My turn. Okay. Yeah. Um, my other big takeaway was I loved seeing Robert Schleip talk about his research in depression and mental health, mm -hmm. excuse me, uh, fascia, depression, and mental health. Um, he has an uh, alliance with a hospital in Germany that had reached out to him that they wanted to do some fascia-focused research regarding mental health. And I was really happy about that because one of the big omissions that I saw when I was doing the, the research work for you guys on self-myofascial release was there was one paper that had included mental health in all of the published research. That is in addition to stuff that I've been seeing in my own you know practice and I've published on it, but obviously it was not evidence-based and- Yeah, uh, it's anecdotal. Well, there's there's room for that, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, knowing that uh, they they had really interesting results, and I think you and I talked about this at the in our 2021 podcast, but the fact that uh, he mentioned that they're because the results were so intriguing and they were affirmative that fascia is showing unique properties in these highly depressed individuals that they're going to pursue further uh, research into the implications in fascia and mental health. So that makes me extremely excited. And I think one of the interesting points in that that was a bit strange was that, and, and check me on this, but as I recall, they had a higher tension, but the actual palpatory quality of their tissue was spongier. Yes, it didn't have... The, the timing of recoil was yes, very Yes, that's damp. what it was. Couldn't remember the measurement that they used for that, they which was them, really I think weird. In dentometer. And so when they poke into the tissue, it's just very, 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 very slow to return to form. 
And that is an unusual thing. Your turn. I want to give a shout out to Mark Driscoll, who is the president of the Fascia Congress. He did a presentation on spinal biomechanics that to me was missing an important piece of information for the audience and not everybody in the audience, but I think many people in the audience, um, what Mark did was something pretty spectacular. Uh, he started with trying to build a computer model of the spine and he's using the kind of tools that engineers use when they design buildings to make them earthquake proof, the kind of software that they use to design cars to make sure that when you crash them, you don't crash yourself. This is complicated stuff. And I think that aspect got lost on some people that you have to start with, okay, here's a joint, here's another joint, here's another joint, let's put a couple of uh, connectors on those joints. And let's play with that and see how it works. Okay, now let's add more complexity to it. So eventually he revealed a, a full spine with, I want to say, over a hundred myofascial connections to manipulate this spine in a computer-assisted drafting way. And this took hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours and data crunching and redoing and redoing and redoing. This was something that took years, even though he made it look like he just sat at his computer and did it in an afternoon. I just want to make sure anybody who was there understands that this is building towards a manipulatable computer model for human biomechanics, which I think is pretty exciting stuff. And it was a lot of hard, chewy work. And I just want to give Mark a shout out for all that hard work and pulling that off. Yeah, I I think that probably for a lot of people in the room, it, like computer modeling and you know things that look like robots are a really scary thing. First of all, you're like, oh my god, engineering. Oh oh, I just shut I just shut down because I didn't do good. And you know, tr once once I hit trig and calculus, that was that was over for me. And then there's the division between the dancer kids. And then the, you know, the, the ones who are good with computer programming. So um, maybe that was one of the things that happened in, amongst the congregants, the, the, maybe a disconnect with understanding what he is actually the miracle of what he's out there creating and that he, he could have omitted myofascial or even he could omit fascia completely in that model, but that it's mm -hmm. included in the model. And, you know, his big focus, too, is so much on the spine because that is his, you know, his path of pain is this crippling back pain. And so I love that he's out there doing this incredible research, so much of which also doesn't end up producing anything. Like, there's just so many errors that are going to be coming up, that come up in the, the, the path of work that he's taking. It's hard to appreciate, like you said, it's hard to appreciate how dense mm -hmm. uh, and and also the number of people working on it with him um yeah oh my gosh anyway so but i i want to applaud him also because i i follow his, his work on ResearchGate, and i mean mm -hmm. i'm past the third sentence i'm always like i don't understand i i know mark from my first fascia congress when he and i both were poster presenters and i got to know him 
Oh, wow. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So uh, actually he and Leonid Bloom oh, yeah, yeah. had a presentation on stress transfer mediums. And it was just oh, so fortunate. Yeah, it was yeah. like a very fortunate placement that his poster and my poster were the way the, the way the floor was set up at the time our posters were facing each other. And so basically Mark and I were just facing each other or me and Leonid were facing each other. And I had so many conversations with them about textiles and about, um, ah, stress uh -huh. you know, about tools, about stress sure. transfer mediums. Yeah. And it, uh, his work is always included in my work because they were the first people to show um, what object transfer into a soft tissue medium, into a, uh, a modeled soft tissue medium does and what their findings were at the very young age of uh, 2011, I think when they did their research is that uh, softer actually transfers more, distributes more stretch into the medium than a hard tool. And that was pretty amazing. So uh, I have a lot of faith that where he's going, um, we're going to end up learning loads in oh the next yeah I, I think uh, i think we're this is going to be at three years from now when we do the next one of these things it, it, we're going to be astonished i hope we're going to be astonished i have two two or three more that i'd like to highlight but i uh, have to give a pranam to carlos deco of course ah. because carla did an expose on fascia and the and aging. Yes. And she started with a fetus and she goes all the way up to people in their 80s. And the qualities that change throughout a lifespan of fascia. And what's so crazy is, oh my gosh, I do. I have a feeling on this one too, in the next, not three years, but in the next 15 years, there will really be a very complete architectural layout of what, what one can expect of fascia and then how we can interfere best practices. And when I yes. say interfere, I mean, best practice, breast fascia interference practices to really mitigate the, well, the natural aging process in fascial tissues. Right. Cause um, we are going to lose, we are going to lose. So one of the biggest qualities of that is that we're going to lose water as we get older, we are going to dry up a little bit. I, I question if it needs to be as much as the data shows it is on average, if we couldn't improve that, because I'm certain I've seen it anecdotally. I'm sure you have too. In my practice, people in their 70s, even 80s, who are still pretty juicy. Oh, and people yeah. in their 40s who are totally dried out. Yes. We also don't know their DNA, or is it just the way they're living their life, right? That's yeah, genetics can be a factor, but yeah. it's not the only one. One of the things that really moved me was her talk within the talk, because there were lots of mini talks, is the muscle spindle, the changes to the muscle spindle directly uh, through aging. And what she talked about was, first of all, there's the fascial spindle around the, 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 so the fascial encapsulation around the muscle spindle. I had always thought it was just made of paramecium, but she talked about the muscle spindle being continuities with contributions of the endomesium, the paramecium, and the epimesium makes up the muscle spindle capsule. And so as the capsule, the fascial capsule around the muscle spindle ages, 
thickens and its size doubles. So the the specific thickness around this these little you know stretch sensors is thickening and doubling in density as we age. And the problem with this becomes that the muscle spindle is less sensitive to elongation as the body ages. And that means you're not getting as much feedback from the muscle spindle that you have stretched beyond. And that's one of the reasons why we are become so uh, prone to ruptures and tears. Because we don't know how much is too much. We're not feeling it. We can't feel it. And I had just had a client, super healthy, 59-year-old, super fit. Like I've been working with her for almost a quarter of a century. And she came on a retreat with me. I was teaching at this very high-end retreat. And she went and she did a pickleball session. You know what's coming next, right? (laughs) Pickleball. I say, 59-year-old, you know what's coming next. Yeah, it's not going to be pretty. Walking backwards on the court, not even hopping, walking backwards on the on the court. So that means her knee is way forward. She's in a, a very dorsiflected position and she heard a snap. Her Achilles tendon ruptured just walking backwards. Ooh. Yes. And so it was like, well, why wasn't she getting feedback from her calf and her Achilles prior to that? What was going on? And when I saw Carla's lecture, and this is like, I don't want to talk about, well, she's doing calf training. Was she doing plyometrics before? Mm, Whatever. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. She was not getting feedback that she's overstretching her, her bounds. There's no pain while she's walking back. There's like just no feedback. And, and a lot of that, um, these ruptures we're hearing about, especially in that age group, that over 45 age group, we can look at this research and say, ah, well, well, how, then how do we improve that feedback? Is there a way to decrease that thickening you know, as, over the course of aging? What are the preventative measures for that? It's just very, very, very exciting to me to, to think, well, maybe there was this thickening cause that didn't, you know, didn't set off alarm bells for this particular client. So anyway, that was my, that was one, I mean, there are many takeaways from Carla's, but that was my favorite because it was so fresh on my mind. I I went there on a mission to figure out what had happened to my client's Achilles. Well, and you got it. Well, there's probably other things too, but that was one of them. Yeah. But it's people like explanations for why things happen, even if it's not the whole explanation. Exactly. And, and that's, and that is a really important takeaway and a good consideration for anybody who is working with an elderly population and just reinforces the need to, <clears throat> at least for manual therapists like me, to get them up and moving frequently and give them give them ample opportunity to test drive in between the interventions that you're doing within the session so that they retain it more mentally. It can't make it worse to do mm-hmm. that is, is, a, is a best practice. Okay, mm-hmm. so I'm going to move to, uh, I can never remember the best, the right way to say his name, Peter Friedel, Friedel, mm-hmm. Friedel. It works. I don't, is he German? Is, it would be Peter Friedel. I don't know. He, if he's, he's, German. he's German enough. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, your accent's really good. I speak German. Um, see, all these things about you, I'm still learning this You're many welcome. years into our relationship. So he 
it was got a little controversial there. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, Peter uses multi harmonic microscopy and fluorescent tracers to explore microanatomy and uh, the microanatomy specifically of connective tissue in three dimensions and those high resolution cellular images uh, is just astonishing astonishing pictures that he brings back but the thing that really stuck out from there mm-hmm. is it's controversial about whether you should do manual therapy on people who have cancer and he kind of came down firmly on no don't go there and he showed a very compelling video where they were using uh, a probe of some kind i believe to add compression to an area and it sped up the speed of the tumor migrating to somewhere else now tumors are going to migrate but this actually hastened the process mm. now there's the there's the more inner environment view that cancer tends to dry out the tissue. So if we get it juicier, you're making a in-hospital environment for the cancer tissue to, to replicate itself. But he was saying, no, you might actually be causing it to spread faster. And he got a lot of pushback from some people in the audience about that. What, I'll never forget those videos. Um, yeah. I mean, the videos make you, yeah, you see alien invasion and, the little the little probe that he's using like pushing at the tumor and then all of a sudden you just start to see this little pseudopod you just start to see this extension of the cell finding what he calls clefts within the substrate and you just start to see this migration and it's like a horror film um i mean that was the impression i got left with and i gotta say it really sold me on uh no massage near tumors please like he also has an incredible way not only with visuals but with words he had this one the title was putative functions of conduits in tissue you know talks about enabling rapid convection and diffusion of interstitial fluid fluid macromolecules and chemokines so um i really enjoyed the the rich discussion that happened in the room after he spoke his very his very certainty about his message and i know that there's not total agreement on that, but having when I you know you see that, I would just really discourage people to stay away from the vicinity of a tumor. But the thing is, is cells are also um, dislodging and making their way away from tumors and are free floating throughout the body, uh, regardless. So it, it's really, I'm not a massage therapist. I'm a self massage therapist, so I don't have the burden um, that you do. But I would discourage people from using tools, you know, on a tumor. Yeah. And I think, you know, anytime I work with a cancer patient and, you know, I'm I'm not doing massage therapy. Um, I'm in that weird Venn diagram of PT, osteopath, uh, <laughs> uh, massage therapist. Uh, we're still we're still trying to figure out how best to define what structural integration is, manual fascial specialties. I mean, you know, Palat has his myofascial induction, uh, mm-hmm. speaking of other terminology, which is actually another really, really good word. And I understand why he calls it that, but it does make it confusing in, in the marketplace of ideas sometimes from a consumer standpoint. But to get back to, to my point, you know, I've treated people generally who have been in remission. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have occasionally treated people who were active 
that were coming to me because they found that this approach lessened their pain. I treated somebody once who had pancreatic cancer. Mm. So, and this was a, a guy in his fifties and it was so sad. And, but he had been somewhere, he had gotten a similar treatment from a Rolfer type, uh, someplace he had visited and he was really happy about how it helped his day-to-day pain. Mm-hmm. So I was able to have a dialogue with him to say, look, this, this isn't something you're going to get better from. This isn't something that's going to make you better. And there's some concerns that some aspects of this work could make the spread happen faster. And for him, the pain relief was worth uh, the risks. risks. And I, I, I will always remember Joe the last time I saw him because he always came with his sister and she would bring him in. And I saw him the day before he died Mm. and he was so depleted. And when I had a moment, I just asked her, why did you bring him in? And she said, because he insisted. He knew he was going to feel better after he saw you. And I wasn't going to tell him no. You know, I didn't know that was going to be the the last time I saw him, but um, that, that sticks with you for your life. There is such a powerful element in palliative care. Touch should not be removed from a body because they have a systemic issue. You know, the lack of touch is more injurious than the touch itself. And I think research would really prove that out time and time again, that the touch, the therapeutic touch, whether it's light touch, deep touch, or whatever um, orientation of touch, tender touch, um, it has has an effect on vagal tone. And vagal tone is where we boost our recovery and our restoration elements. This is part of what I talk about in the book, Body by Breath, right? So so how we can boost our own um, uh, parasympathetic virtues um, and sometimes they they may be crossing uh, questionable areas. We don't you know we don't know well what what is the the risk reward here? But it definitely sounds like he lived for that lift that you were able to um, impart. Frankly, it was a safe place for him to let his hair down. Something I've noticed in people going through cancer is that often they're trying to be strong for their friends and family. And they don't want them to see them in a weakened state. But with me, he could do that. Yeah. He could come in and say, this sucks. And I could say, yeah, it really sucks. <laughs> you know, and just and just be with him in that place yeah. in a way that is harder to do with a loved one, frankly. That's right. the thing I will remember even more. Hate how Friedel's work can't answer all of what those um, human to human needs are. So thank you for, for bringing that up. Um, you, I think my, the last one that I'd like to highlight, there's many more to, to discuss, but I think the last one I'd like to highlight because I was so impressed with this young PhD student, Shiloh Plot or Plout. He's an Israeli uh, PhD candidate. Those were the breakout sessions, right? Yes. I yes. did not see that one. Oh, so I'm excited. His title, very long title, Fascial Armoring, a Theoretical Model with a Cellular Pathway for the Mechanism of Myofascial Pain 
in functional psychosomatic syndromes. Do you need me to read that title again? No, uh, but you can anyway I will. for the listeners. Fashion, yeah. Fashion I'm thinking, how did I miss that? How did I not see that? It go. was, this was like on the edge of my seat. This is why we go to Fascia Congress for a breakout like this. So fascial armoring, a theoretical model with a cellular pathway for the mechanism of myofascial pain in functional psychosomatic syndromes. So he was using fibromyalgia and talked about how fibromyalgia, it might, might actually have a cause and thus it may have a cure. And that, you know, central sensitization is the dogma that has been used to explain away a lot of the, the pain yeah. in people with fibromyalgia, but it doesn't offer an actual biological pathway. So I took so many notes and photos. So I actually, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll just highlight a lot of his lecture. The unofficial definition of fibromyalgia, everybody take a deep breath, because especially if you're listening and you have fibromyalgia, the unofficial definition is that it's an unfortunate neurological fate of traumatized and stressed individuals. It is a cognitive behavioral social uh, uh, condition with a possible genetic predisposition, disposition. It is an infinite feedback of pain with no peripheral organic lesion or injury. So you can probably relate to all of these quote unquote definitions if you live with fibromyalgia. Now, by the way, I don't live with fibromyalgia. I have family members who do so. But, you know, central sensitization just doesn't really show the, the, the biological mechanism. So his theory is that it's overactive myofibroblasts overproducing TGF beta. That is creating fascial oh, armoring. Okay. That is yeah. creating fascial yeah. armoring in these random areas around the body. And I'll get to what what the diagnosis is of these random areas, but it essentially creates a body-wide compartment syndrome. Whoa. Did I tell you to take a deep breath? Yeah, but I've had a few breaths since then. And it takes your breath away to hear that, right? Uh, no, I'm thinking. I'm, I'm thinking about the people I've treated who've had that diagnosis. Okay, so and what works it, and what doesn't. Keep going. That's right. So the fascial armoring. I just was like this, like when I was want to start to cry. I'm like, oh my god, how come nobody said this before? Um, so <laughs> <laughs> this fascial armoring as a chronic compartment-like syndrome of the whole body, and where you see it manifesting is in the temporal fascia, you'll get these tension type headaches. In the hands, you'll have a Raynaud's-like phenomenon. In the wrists, carpal tunnel syndrome. In the cervical fascia, you may have sicca or dry eyes and mouth. In the periorbital fascia, reduced optic disc function. In the trunk, chronic chest tightness. In the pelvic fascia, urinary or fecal urgency. In the mm. abdomen, aberrant peristalsis. Under the skin, a creeping and crawling sensation. Um, abnormal extracellular matrix properties, you'll have easy bruising. In the scalp, hair loss, it just, the list goes on and on and on. And it's not limited to the fascial periphery. This is a body-wide syndrome. So, you know, you have 15 minutes. I believe they have 15 minutes in these yeah, breakouts. that's about it, right, and yeah. Shiloh went at, I uh, talk about like lightning speed. It was like going boom, 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 boom. Mm -hmm. And then what happened at the end was um, the question, it was like 90 hands shot up in that room. And then basically the upshot was that 
you know, he's like, I, you know, obviously this is just a model and, you know, it needs to be tested. And then Robert raised his hand and he goes, I will help you with the test. And then Werner Klingler <laughs> said, I will too. And like literally everybody in the room was like, oh my God. And we're all like cheering and excited because it's like this kid, not, I mean, he's not a kid. I mean, he's late, probably late twenties, early thirties, but. Well, for, you know, compared you, to our age, he's a kid. Right. You, you, it's like somebody just sees how all the pieces fit together. And, and I feel extremely optimistic you know, even if it fails, it's like, okay, well, we're taking a stab at a biological And model. we might learn something along the way that we wouldn't For have learned sure. otherwise. That's sure. the other important thing. And, and, you know, you bring up something important, which is that a lot of times at these conferences, the real action is in the breakout sections. Mm -hmm. the, sometimes the real, real juicy stuff is in these takeout sections. And I, I have to express my abject disappointment in the demise of published conference proceedings. I mean, mm. a physical book yes. I can have in my hand that has the paper that he had to turn in yeah. to get him that. Now they were all on an app and da 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 da. But you know, having that book in my hand, having it ahead of time, having it to page through. He has mm -hmm. a scoping review um, and interpretation of myofascial fibromyalgia. So I will send you that link after we yeah. get off. What I'm saying is that, you know, in prior fascia conferences, mm -hmm. and I think they stopped it at the one in DC, I, but, but there used to be a physical book that had all these papers published yep. in it. And that, you know, I'm sorry, I spent enough time looking at my phone. I don't want to spend looking, you know, I want to be able to toggle back and forth between what, which, which one's more important to me. I want to be able to scan and easily see. Yeah which ones I don't want to miss. And I just find the digit, I guess I'm getting old, but I just find doing it on this tiny screen by comparison just doesn't work as well. I'm, a so I'm just, too. I'm just putting it out there for future fascia congresses. Please print a book. I'll pay extra for it. I'm fine with it, but print me a book. Please. Thank you. For me, that was the most optimistic takeaway. Um, and I, it's like, I can't wait to share that with my family members. They may not understand, <laughs> but, um, you know, to give people um, a different way of, of thinking about this completely crazy thing that they live with that every day they're playing whack-a-mole and they don't know where it's going to mm -hmm. pop up next. I'm going to throw something out there for you to consider. And it's just something that it's a pattern I've observed. Mm -hmm. I haven't studied. I find that almost to a person, they get really good results when you're treating the areas uh, that are fast twitch fiber flexor muscles. What blows them out of the water is when you treat the slow twitch endurance muscles. I have to really think through my people in my community who um, are the fibromyalgia people and mm -hmm. ask them, ask them their experience with that, like where they tend to find relief in rolling. So, uh, so treating the slow twitch rather than the fast twitch, they, Oh, excuse me. They do. Yeah, yeah, no, no. they, they get good results from the fast twitch, you know? So, I All mean, right. the, 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 it's very clear to me. So let's just say to use the anatomy trains model, I'm working the upper chest and the arms and the superficial front line, and then the SCM uh, and then with some suboccipital releases and they feel tons better 
they come in the next week and I'm going to work the back line. I'm going to work the erector spinae, the hamstrings, the gastrox and so on. And then they come back that third time and they're like, oh my God, I did most of get out of bed for two days. Mm-hmm. So that's, uh, yeah. So it's changed my approach, but I also haven't seen enough of that patient population. Oh, thank you for that takeaway. Yeah. Again, it's just what I've observed. I know some muscle research guys that are really clued into fast twitch, slow twitch, and intermediate twitch uh, muscle fibers. So when I see- um, Yeah. When, when you see them, run that past I'll, them and see what that, they yeah, have to I'll, say. That'd be awesome. Thank you. Okay. I'm, I'm going to ask you what you're looking forward to in 2023, but I think I already know because there's going to be this new baby in the world. Yes. Uh, the release of the book, I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm also really looking forward to being able to liberate myself from all of the congestion of the ideas and the parts of the book that have been in my body for all these years and to be able to get the book out to free up space for new waves of creativity. (laughs) I think your bicep is still stuck in chapter four. I can see it. (laughs) Son of a gun. Um, (laughs) Mostly you don't realize when you're kind of choking on the material that you're like, you are just this over, over stuffed, oversaturated, over obsessed, over obsessed, over self focused. I mean, I'm really the most boring people at parties because I'm like, oh, the book, the book, the book, the book, the book. You know, it's every other thought is about the book, and I, I, I can't wait to not be that person and to be able to be the next version of whatever is to come. Jill five point um, Yeah, and I mean, really, the biggest passion that I have, besides my family and obviously my work is my passion, but I reconnected with an old love during the pandemic and during the writing of the book. Mm. That is the the most, I think my original love of embodiment came through singing as a child. Oh, that's great. And one of the chapters in the book is on, of course, has to do with the book, um, is on airway and uh, vocal, vocal, vocal based stuff. Oh, I can't wait to read that chapter one of the subpopulations I work with is singers. And I always consider myself a singer, but you know what? I hadn't done the work of vocal training for decades because I, I left it when I left college because when I, after I left college or by the way, during college, I just was not as good as everybody else as a singer. And mm-hmm. it was really clear. And uh. also I was dealing with a mental illness at the time. I was bulimic. And so being bulimic and trying to be a vocalist are at odds with each other. And so yeah, I can see that. I would say that some of the sort of poor vocal habits I had, maybe it was had to do with the vocal training, but also uh, what I was doing to my body were not conducive to being able to, to be a successful vocalist. And so during the pandemic, my kids were doing, well, my son was doing music lessons with uh, this local music lesson person who also happened to be a former rock star, like billboard top uh, uh, 40 musician, like amazing musician. And I would always say to him, ah, you know what? I used to sing someday I'll, I'll do a vocal lesson with you. And the day I turned in my second draft of my book, excuse me, my first draft of my book, I said, you know what? Today's the day I want to do a lesson with you. And I did a lesson with him. This is just about a year and a half ago and has, it's been life-changing. 
it's been absolutely the best adult learning, reconnecting to my joy that I've ever done in my life. And so I'm actually wanting to really develop artistically again, not that I'm going to be producing records, but this is just something that's so special to me. And it connects all the things that I study and train and teach. So that's what I'm most looking forward to is, is doing a lot of singing. So that's what I want to do. I want to rock out. Wow. I am, I'm, I'm trying to take some inspiration from that because I can still remember the, the last time I played, it was the Wednesday before the shutdown of 2020. And I thought, mm. I don't even feel like going out to, there's a place about three miles from where I live on Wednesday nights. And I thought, you better go. This could be the last time for a while. I never thought it would be several years. Mm. And without that regular outlet, I just really became deconditioned mm -hmm. vocally and guitar wise. And I keep trying to get the engine revved up again. And so you're inspiring me to, uh, to look for that. It is the greatest motivator for me right now. And in, it's a regulator. I mean, I have all these new, you know, resonances and vibrations and talk about adjusting the autonomic nervous system, I can tell immediately by my voice whether I'm in a good space or whether I'm full of anxiety and strung out. It's like, it's just oh, yeah. one other way of testing what I, what I, you know, because sometimes you, you think you're in a good space and then you realize, <laughs> oh, wait, no, my, I don't have any neural regulation in my voice. So that's just one more exciting um, input or output, I guess. Yeah. That lets me know about my uh, my state and make other people do it with me too. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm all up for online Zoom vocal lessons. I was I was actually working with an amazing soprano uh, here in Pittsburgh, and um, she was able to push my range where I always believed it could go. Mm. But she's an opera singer, and she's the mm -hmm. kind she embodies what she sings. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I'll hear that she's actually part of a troupe that does opera in bars around town. They're amazing, and uh, sometimes after she does a number, I actually have to leave and go outside because I'm just so I have no idea what she just sang about. But oh my god, I felt oh, all the feels. Wow. Uh, yeah. She's that kind of singer, and it was wonderful. But by the same token, I'm not going to be singing opera. So I, I want to find somebody who can help me with some of the techniques around some of the genres and styles that I yeah. want to do more with. What about you? I got another writing project for next year. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. And Are you I'm, ready to announce it? Uh, I'm ready to tease it. I'm ready okay. to tease it. It's going to be a book about fascia that hasn't been written yet. Fashion and music? Is that what this no, is? No, 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 oh, okay. no, 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 it's not. Because we're no, kind of talking all around fashion yeah. and music right now. <laughs> yeah, no, we are. We are, we are, we are. Oh my God. There is, and I'll, I'll share this with you. Uh, there is this singer in Germany that I met. And when she sings, she sounds like a woman in her prime. She was well into her 70s when I met her. And she sings with what I can only describe as full body fascial resonance. Mm -hmm. When she sings the normal way and when she sings mm -hmm. that way, the difference is distinctive. I played it for a friend of mine who knew nothing about any of this. And he said, wow, when she sings that second way, it, it, it sounds like what I imagine it would be like to fly. 
Oh, I want to hear that. I've, I've got, I've got that. I'm going to send that to you. I, okay. It's like, I've got like a 45 minute um, clip. This was from body wisdom, Spain in like 2012. Um, she's wow. phenomenal. She has a school in Germany in Lichtenberg, Germany. Oh, cool. I mean, I just, I just want to go down all the singing rabbit holes. That sounds amazing. No, there's, all right. So there's, you're writing another book. And you're writing another book. It's on a subject that's never been tackled. Like, no, 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 no. no. It's a book about fascia that doesn't yet exist. All right. So, like, like, okay, so you know, we, you know, you could point to any number of books about fascia. It's a murder mystery. Jill, I would really love to tell you more. I'd love to even tell you the title of it because I'm so excited about it, but I'm just not quite ready to to leak that information yet. It's just a little too soon. But let me just say. It's a book about fascia that needs to be written that that doesn't currently exist yet. Well, I, look, there's there's always room for expansion of all people's awareness of body parts, and since this is such a ubiquitous in, one, in, in like, body systems, the connecto mechanoconnective uh, system, yeah, mechanoconnective yeah. system, yes, just to bring it full circle. Please yeah. fill our bucket. There we go. Bucket list. All right, Jill. Yes, sir. Thanks for coming on. We'll Always have you on. I think this is going to be a yearly thing for us. Uh, it's just way too much fun. And we'll have you back on the pod uh, into 2023 so we can talk all about Body by Breath. Until then, uh, happy holidays, everybody, and happy new year. Bye. Hi, this is David Lasondek. Thank you again for tuning in to another episode of Body Talk couldn't do it without you honestly i really couldn't what would be the point that said if you want to support the show like i said earlier hit follow hit subscribe you want to get crazy go to patreon go to patreon.com backslash body talk radio and become a contributing member to the show really helps with the time and the costs associated with producing this little nugget of the podcast universe. we got a really exciting year coming up on the show next year. I'm already getting shows in the can and edited. i got some really great stuff to share with you. Can't wait. Next week, we're going to have my special Christmas show. Uh, Till then, in this attention economy, if you give me your time, I will make sure it's worth your attention. See you next time here on Body Talk. Thank you.